Let's go to God in prayer together. God, we pray that it would be your spirit that guides our understanding, that the words of your scripture, the words that penetrate our heart, will be your spirit, that will be open to the truth that you have for us, the ways of our life and the path we should take. Thank you for your sacred word today, and we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thomas Merton was an American Trappist monk, poet, and scholar. He was very intentional in punctuating the reality that as humans, we are only truly privy to the present moment. Everything else is speculation. He said, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it's all going. What you need to recognize is the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage and faith and hope. On this first Sunday of Advent, as we focus our attention on hope, our text forces us to wade into one of the most important paradoxes of the gospel, the already not, the already not yet quality to the portion of the divine drama in which we live. Already, Jesus has established the means through which we are drawn into a relationship with God, but not yet do we live in complete communion. Already, the realm of God is evident, but not yet is that realm fully established. Our scripture today is from Mark 13, 24 through 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at their very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Advent, the church begins its retelling of the Christian story once again. And as is our tradition, the beginning of our story turns our attention to last things, 
This passage, which is a portion of what is often called the little apocalypse, puts us in the presence of the adult Jesus, offering both prophetic and judgment comfort. He anticipates the end times when heaven will literally quake and stars will begin to fall out of the sky. What sounds like a disaster, however, actually prepares the way for the Son of Man and his gathering. Advent eventually takes us to a baby in a manger, but it begins by traversing the cosmos. Reading this text now is like following the director, Cecil B. DeMille's advice. Start with an earthquake and then build up to a climax. Certainly from the very first word, there can be no doubt that there is as much at stake in this season and in the very beginning of the story, we are given a glimpse of the evening. It can seem strange at first to begin our anticipation of the birth of Jesus by being urged to wait for his coming again. After all, this talk of Jesus' return seems out of sequence. And that's because we think more in terms of chronology than we do paradox. But it does place us squarely squarely with those who waited for the birth of the Messiah. And neither those who awaited the first coming of the Messiah nor those who now await his return know when he will appear. The passage is filled with apocalyptic images and language in concert with previous Jewish writings of the same genre. And it's very helpful to read it, not much as a, so much as a predictive message about the future, but as a word addressing the issues pressing the Markan community at the time of its writing. The events we are reading about are all the stuff of the community's everyday life the violence of war, the impending, if, if maybe even completed, destruction of the temple, the perilous existence of the church under persecution, the enticing voices of the prophets and false messiahs, and the false prophets. All these were urgent concerns for the Christian community of Jesus' time, and then later of the Markan community. What does their concern have to do with ours? We may find that we are asking the same questions as our Christian ancestors and facing many of the same challenges. How does God remain faithful in the midst of a crisis that is spiraling out of control? How can the people of God tell the difference between the voices that call us away from God and God's holy voice that calls us towards God? Amid the smoke of battles and the fog of politics and the confusion of economic distress, a global pandemic and racial unrest, the babble of would-be leaders wearing God masks and claiming divine authority, how shall we know which way to turn? The false voices of any age would lull us to sleep by reassuring us that they have our best interests at heart as they pursue their greedy agenda. They play to our fears, our prejudices, our self-interests, so that we don't notice or, or we wrap ourselves in denial that we have somehow joined the ranks of false prophets and the unjust. And as the scripture reminds us four times in 13 verses, beware, keep alert, 
keep awake. Well, God's people shouldn't be surprised or discouraged. Jesus warned us of such things. They have plagued history for as long as we can possibly know. Why should we hope? We can hope because there is another reality that lies beyond history, a new heaven and a new earth. And our history is not a closed system. We've never been taught in scriptures to believe that history is a treadmill that goes round and round in monotonous cycles. History has a goal, and that goal is God. Society will will be redeemed and recreated by God. Our watchfulness is necessary because only God knows what time it really is, and only God knows what the true crisis is in any given age. Jesus makes it clear in this passage and in other of his teachings that the present moment is all we have, and it's sufficient because all time and space belong in God's hands alone. It's also clear that Jesus does not intend for us to predict when he will return or even how. Rather, he is urging us to live as if his return were just around the corner. So there's no time for us to allow ourselves to be distracted by the urgencies of our culture, the pressure to secure our future by sacrificing our present moment, missing the encounters with Christ in the face of our family, our friends, our enemies, the poor, because it demands time and energy and our focus. The significance of this passage for Mark's gospel can hardly be overstated. You see, where it's located is just prior to the beginning of the passion narrative. It stands as a commentary on what's coming, on what will follow. And the crucifixion of Jesus is a call to watchfulness, a call to the disciples in Mark's story are not able to fulfill. Even the women who find the tomb empty fail to understand the meaning of watchfulness as they run away in fear. And this passage reminds the church, reminds us of the need to remain vigilant, to, be, to beware, to keep alert, to keep awake. In this portion of Mark's gospel, Jesus addresses those who have to live in the meantime, the challenging meantime between the already and the not yet. By keeping alert and awake, by living our lives in accord with the one who has already come and been raised, not only will we be prepared to live in the promised realm of God when it presents itself, but we can experience even now the vision and the reality of life centered in God. But for today, the first Sunday of Advent, and of course, it is the Sunday of hope. Let's begin the retelling of our story to remind ourselves and to draw any who do not yet know into the light of God's abundant love. Poet Anne Weems reminds us that the Christmas spirit is that hope which tenaciously clings to the hearts of the faithful and announces in the face of any Herod the world can produce and all the indoors slammed in our faces that with God all things are possible, 
that even now unto us a child is born, and with that birth is the birth of hope. Amen.